Welcome to the American Intelligence Media. I'm your host, Douglas Gabriel, and I'm with Michael McKibben today. We are just continuing this amazing discussion on IBM, how they worked with the Nazis, how intelligence groups in Britain go all the way back to World War I and come forward to this very day and have infiltrated every level of our government, anything to do with communications, even corporate communications, government communications, military communications, all goes back to a British plan where they set up a black chamber and they basically laugh at us as they helped us set up our system, which we are still under the control of that system. So it's, we're talking today about the fact that fascism came into intelligence, not just through the Nazis, but through the British Commonwealth. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, Douglas. Great to talk to you today. Well, you are again down there in the mines, and it just amazes me. I just want to give a little note here. You are pulling up documents that have been released since 2010 about the founding of the National Security Agency the and also the Army Security Agency, and yes. its genesis going back to Britain. And, and these documents have been released. They're in open public, but no one ever talked about them. But the revelations that are coming from them are directly related to the fact that when leader technologies had their trade secrets stolen, this was common parlance. This was an institutionalized system that the British set up to rip us off as they also ripped off, say, Germany after World War II and Italy after World War II, and they ripped off Germany after World War One, And so today in our discussions personally before we got, came on, on air, we realized that this goes all the way back to 1919. This was the British stealing what Kaiser Wilhelm had as his own cipher school. And then you literally found the documentation to prove that the Black Chamber goes back to 1919. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, the Black Chamber was the actual name that the British used for their what they call pooled resources of intelligence. So in in the UK, all intelligence, all police work, all activity related to spying and encryption and, and ciphers and thing, things like that go back to something that they call inside the Black Chamber, and they gave it a code name, which was GCCS, the Government Code and Cipher School which now we know as uh, GCHQ. But those are code names for this thing they call the Black Chamber. And uh, it's black because it's secret. It's uh, people who go into this chamber uh, take an oath that uh, they must take these secrets to their grave. And that is the organization, as we're learning from these NSA documents released in 2010, just about two months before our trial against Facebook, by the way, that um, uh, this is the group that we cut our deal with uh, during World War II, specifically, uh, and then before that, marching back to World War One. But it seems like they, the British needed us more at certain times, and that's when they would ebb and flow in their activity. But uh, as uh, World War Two started, uh, they they came to us looking to ally with the U.S. in how uh, we engaged their black chambers. And in the process, 
it's now clear from looking at these documents as they move forward from 1940 that uh, they uh, were very cleverly ensconced themselves in every aspect of American intelligence from that point forward to this very day. This is an amazing insight. Now, the reason it is amazing to me is because when I got drafted through lottery draft back in the ancient days, I ended up in the um, Army Security Agency and then went, of course, working for the National Security Agency and working for all the different services. And so I read books and stuff, you know. Matter of fact, we had this great library that I was in, the top secret library, where I got to read all about the codes and history codes and the military codes and all this stuff. Didn't know any of this. The founding of Five Eyes. No, that's not in it. No, you're not going to find that anywhere. And the, then the ultra group that you have discovered? No, 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 no. No one, I don't think, has ever put that in a book. So you went back to 1946. You found the founding of Five Eyes. You found the ultra group. Now you found the Black Chamber group that goes back to 1919. And it also includes the State Department, not just the Department of Defense. It includes all departments, all aspects. Navy, Army, Coast Guard, uh, FBI, State Department, Department of Commerce, you name it. It's there. They're all part of this uh, alliance that uh, was cut with the British. And as you had already chased down the founding of what we would call the CIA or the OSS, which was at first basically a British organization, we were taught by the Brits how to open these secret counterintelligence groups. We were also taught how to open our intelligence agencies, the many and confused set of 17 intelligence agencies in America, which just keeps everything confused so that the Brits, through a variety of corporations, which actually control a huge amount of our, in, not only intelligence, but any information, any information flow, any money flow, any flow of weapons, any flow of uranium, any flow of just about anything of value, especially communications and intelligence, was set up and controlled by the most ancient of the systems. And when we talk about who did that, you could say that Cecil Rhodes gave the prototype of what should happen, and he was obsessed with making English-speaking people the rulers of the world, and as he called it, recapturing or regaining or getting back America. He right. thought America this was is, his. This is the uh, genesis of the uh, League of Nations, and uh, it, it appears that well, GCCS, which is now GCHQ, which is the British Intel uh, Foreign Intelligence Operation, run out of the Foreign Office, by the way, um, started in 1919, and they continued under that same name until 1946, after the agreement to share intelligence with the U.S., then they changed their name to GCHQ. We had a, a plethora of different names for uh, acronyms for our intelligence, and uh, these documents describe how uh, our intelligence operation to the British was a laughingstock, and that's a quote. And and so uh, when the British came to us in World War II, the uh, the view was that um, there needed to be some sharing to fight the Germans, uh, but we, we needed to be careful how we did it, so there were a lot of uh, careful steps at the beginning taken, and this all emanated uh, from uh, 
discussions with General Marshall, who was uh, Eisenhower's boss, and uh, Marshall issued an order that uh, authorized the, the beginnings of discussions with the British intelligence, which would be the Black Chambers, and that's actually the name used in these documents, uh, to begin discussions, but be very careful about how you step forward. We're only going to do certain things. And in his order, there are two paragraphs which are really important in our investigation of how our technology was stolen, which basically say that General Marshall said that we're going to share intelligence, but we're going to respect the intellectual property rights of inventors, patentees, and trade secrets holders, and that anything that was done on either side of the Atlantic had to compensate fairly and reasonably the inventors and holders of that intellectual property in the process of this intelligence sharing. Now that was in that was a, a letter in or an order in 1940, and that order ended up being the 1946 intelligence sharing agreement, which we now know as Five Eyes. But what clearly happened within after 1940 is the people that actually implemented that on our side and the British side ignored that order regarding respecting patents and trade secrets. Totally ignored it. But the, the, the interesting question, legal question for us, is since this was an order issued under martial law, and since that organization uh, that we call Five Eyes is still in place, the, there's a very clear question that our property may be protected by this order which has never been rescinded. Oh, I think it certainly is. And when the highest general in America makes a big deal over the fact that he's not going to let, basically, Britain steal our patents, think of that. That's a general. Why is a general getting in on patents? Because he knows that the real warfare is with for the time in 19, what, 14, when they stole, uh, when they played like Marconi invented the wireless and they actually stole it from Tesla, that was the British, British who did that. Right. So Marshall would have known this long history because he would have known the history of intelligence in the military, right? So he right. was basically saying, I know your gig and I'm reinforcing the fact that just because you're military doesn't mean you get to steal all the patents. Yep. And this is yep. very critical because the wireless that was happening then was the control mechanism of propaganda for all communications. And it took what used to be the State Department or the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, as they call it in Britain, used to be their job. And what would they do? They would encode messages and cipher in all their letters to their ambassadors in other countries. And then they would, that's how they communicated their secrets, right? Right. So from the beginning, the uh, government code and cipher what is it, GCCS, the government code? General and cipher. Communications and Cipher School. There you go, and school. That was for the State Department, too. That was for everybody. And as I've said before, when the bankers were doing this, they not only had that going, but they also used carrier pigeons, and they sent messages. So whoever could, and on the ships where signals intelligence was a huge deal, they would use lights with kind of like a Morse code. By the way, that, that may sound funny about the carrier pigeons, but there was a whole uh, 
British group that managed carrier pigeons in World War II, and they were a part of this uh, GCCS group. Absolutely. And on every naval ship was a signalsman. And the words signals intelligent isn't signal intelligent. It's signals when they're flashing those lights in the ship from one ship to the next, ship to ship communications. Those are ciphers. Now, this is critical because they saw that as technology was coming into place, they weren't just going to be able to communicate a little. They would eventually communicate globally. So people started thinking, well, how do I take over the whole world? Cecil Mm -hmm. Rhodes wanted the English to take over the entire world, but first he wanted to get America back. He he didn't believe we won the revolution, and I believe he's correct. That's written specifically in his will that he... Uh, his priority was to get America back, and, and that was an aim of the Rhodes Scholarships. And now, as Rhodes said, it isn't a matter of nations, it's a matter of race. That's the past. That's a very sick past. There's anybody who thinks that a race, a race, one race should rule the world is a sick little puppy. And they need to look at history. That isn't the way it works. So when we started virtual reality because of the inventions of leader technologies and your trade secrets that you and your inventors made, we were able to go into a virtual reality with loads of other people, billions if we wanted, I guess, all at the same time. And that is where the big warfare is going on. So when General Marshall, you know, Marshall Law, when this guy who was telling the president what to do wanted to make a big issue with the British, what he was saying is, I realize that you've screwed us. I realize you've given us a limited intelligence system. I realize that you can see into us, but we can't see into you. I realize you have your own black chamber and that you don't allow us to go in it. And I also realize that the people who were part of this from 1919, from the Rhodes uh, Roundtable to the Milner Roundtable to... Milner's kindergarten to all that you have then revealed ever since then from the stay behind troops to the founding of the CIA, they've all built everything on intelligence. Intelligence or intel, intel rules, period. And if you make up fake intel, you can create wars that were based upon that fake intel and no one gets to question your intel because you're in a small little group that nobody else gets in. And you don't even have to tell the people above you or the president or the queen or the prime minister, anybody. You get to continue in your self-perpetuating little black ops counterintelligence, intelligence, counterintelligence intel group. And what do you do? You simply set it up for insider trading so that those people have the power, control, and money and pass it on down to their family. And that's what we've realized. This goes all the way back to 1919. These are dynasties of intel manipulators who actually control politicians and governments. Well, let me read you a little bit of this letter. Uh, It's uh, dated September 9th. It's a memorandum dated September 9th of 1940 uh, for the chief of staff uh, from the War Department General Staff. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, portions here. This letter constitutes the sole directive from higher authority under which the interchanges of information have okay, been Tyler. conducted. Tyler. The subject is directive to G2, which means intelligence, 
covering interchange of secret technical information with representatives of British government. And then uh, page two, it starts, the Secretary of War directs as follows. And then point four, information on devices or processes of manufacturing which are not owned by the United States government will be handled as follows. And then uh, A, information furnished by representatives of the War Department will be of such general nature as not to jeopardize patent rights or trade secrets. And then there's a long section B, which basically says um, they must guarantee the rights of the patentees or their assignees and uh, are responsible concerning the entire and reasonable compensation for such use. So what we see here, Douglas, is that General Marshall, who was running World War II on our side, was attempting to protect patent holders in the United States. But what we now also see from these documents as they carried forward to, to implement his order, that they completely ignored this effort. In fact, did exactly the opposite. They stole everything that uh, wasn't tied down. And even two years later, we see this confiscation of access, over 50,000 access patents, and they clearly were using the excuse of war to steal patents from anybody that lived in access powers and occupied territories. Uh, and probably as we dig more into these documents, we'll see other games that these lawyers played to try to justify confiscating American patents, but clearly this letter has seniority over those documents and even has seniority over the confiscation of the Axis patents. So this is a very interesting legal question. Since this order was issued under martial law, uh, in addition to the fact that it's also fulfilling the Constitution under the Fifth Amendment takings clause, which says if it's kind of like eminent domain and it's a similar concept, that if, if the government takes your property, you at least are owed compensation for the for the value that the government received, and that's what Marshall is really emphasizing here. He's actually quoting law, and what we see since then is that everything about our intelligence world and its involvement with companies like IBM and the IBM Eclipse Foundation have done everything exactly the opposite. They have taken everything under the fog of, of uh, the cover of national security as the excuse and have not compensated patent holders, us and many others. And what we're looking at here is the genesis, I believe, of our modern intelligence system, but also the way they've decided to steal from everybody on the planet. And uh, that, that's kind of exciting to, to finally see the core of this, uh, this uh, criminality that uh, we've lived with our whole lives. Now, the oxymoron here is that General Marshall is doing this for the Department of Defense and for national security, but he didn't know that the British were helping us set up our CIA for international security. So any time that a John Brennan wants to say, well, I just usurped the president because I even took away his very great power of national security, which you can put on anything and control anything within the Intelligence Committee or Department of Defense, 
and it's now international security. But the problem is, is that we sold out the international security to the Brits. And let's let's hear about what you can tell the way that this continued after World War II with TICOM, TICOM, and um, a paperclip and tens of thousands of patents stolen, militarized, weaponized, and we were never even told about them. So when everybody says, oh, the military has all these secrets that could change the world, it, it, we could get free energy, we could get, that's probably all true, at least in terms of my research, it, it has demonstrated to be true. So tell them about how this literally became institutionalized, and perhaps this is why Marshall was so concerned that uh, General Marshall was thinking, you're just going to steal from us like you stole from Germany, Britain, he's saying. Britain, you're going to steal from America yeah. like you stole from Germany and Italy. That's a, that's a, a good. Uh, I think that's a reasonable conclusion from looking at this letter because this paragraph is the longest paragraph in the whole document, and it's the last main point that he made before uh, concluding and signing it. So uh, there was a strong statement, and you're probably right. I mean, he also talks about uh, uh, protecting American patents in the dominions, Great Britain and the dominions and colonies, from people uh, repatenting in in those places where they call letters of patent, and uh, and saying that the British had to protect the American patents into their commonwealth and into their empire as well. So he had something in mind, and, and um, uh, on paper this read real well. But uh, that was probably the last time he dealt with the subject because what they did after that was completely uh, was to completely ignore this. And um, uh, then we roll forward six years to Operation TCOM, where these same intelligence people that were responsible to carry out this order uh, sent their minions out all over Italy and Germany to uh, seize all the properties for cryptanalysis and cryptography, which were generally uh, uh, locations that held IBM equipment that was used in the German and Italian efforts uh, for cryptoanalysis. And as we now see from those TICOM documents, they actually had a crosswalk table of the equipment the Germans were using and the IBM equipment that the Italians and the, and, you know, the on the one side was the Italian and German use, on the right side was the U.S. Army use, and they said that they were comparable. So we don't know, uh, there isn't much discussion of what the British were doing. We, we know what the uh, Hollywood's trying to tell us, that they developed this, this uh, computer called Colossus, and, and what we now think is that uh, Colossus was nothing more than a cover name for all the IBM equipment in Bletchley House, uh, because there is some uh, discussion that the Germans were aware of all the IBM equipment in Bletchley House, although they suspiciously uh, pat themselves on the back that the Germans were magically not able to, uh, never knew about Enigma, ever. That was what they uh, what they patted themselves on the back on in, in some of these reports. But when you mentioned earlier that you hadn't read any of this history, what we've also noticed that all these people that uh, were on the British side, especially who uh, were involved in implementing this order, 
uh, all but one of the ones we can see that weren't redacted all became British knights, uh, and the one that didn't become a knight had every other honor, and then he moved to the States and actually worked for the NSA. So what we, and, and several of the key people became historians, so they were the ones assigned to write the history of this activity, and clearly the fox hired a fox to write about the uh, the narrative of the hen house, but they they very cleverly avoided any discussion of activities that were ongoing as they continued to develop in the 50s through right up to the present time. So those histories were doctored in the in the very way they were written. Oh, absolutely! By severe war propagandists who had uh, perfected it by the end of World War II. Let's go back for a moment and say. Okay, the first Reich was Roman. The second Reich was Kaiser Wilhelm in Germany attempting to create a total Aryan hegemony. In other words, Kaiser Wilhelm said that if you're not Aryan, then, you know, you're not part of the German Reich. And they did a lot of uh, ciphers in, in those days. And when uh, Marconi's invention came out, uh, and uh, they stole it immediately, and they broke into the cables. They basically... Uh, you mean uh, Tesla's, Tesla's invention? Excuse me, Marconi. Marconi's fake invention, or Marconi's stolen invention from Tesla. Uh, we know that basically we isolated uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, and we know that we went in afterwards and stole everything they had. And then we did it again after World War II. But when we stole everything that they had, what we had to do to get into World War I was Britain had to propagandize us. And they actually believed at that time that they were bringing us back into the fold. And uh, we were isolationist, and we didn't want to. And Woodrow Wilson, the worst president, maybe well, that besides... Was Cecil, that was Cecil Rhodes' directive. Oh, yes. He had just died in 1904, I believe. And so we get into the war based upon fake premises of a false flag, multiple false flags. We get told that the Germans are all these horrible, awful things, all propagandized. We, in fact, let them uh, sink our ships. We let, we make it, we actually feed them the war. So the Britain actually fed World War One, And at the end, they came over and they set up, of course, uh, the they attempted the League of Nations. And then later, it was all based upon Woodrow Wilson's group called the Inquiry. And the Inquiry was the, later became the Council on Foreign Relations. And the League of Nations, created by the Brits, we didn't agree with it in America, still got foisted on us as the United Nations. The British want to take over the world through the United Nations. They very clearly have stated this, and if you look at uh, Lord Mark Malik Brown, he was second in charge at the time. He basically started rigging every election in the world, if he could. You get to see that the British were really maybe more national socialists than either Kaiser Wilhelm or Hitler. So you get to see that this is the same plan of the Brits in World War I and World War II. Bring America in, set up systems in America that make them nothing more than another one of our Commonwealth nations or turn our colony back into a dominion, whatever. They, you know, they had words for this. They actually were attempting to do this. They didn't set up a good intelligence system for us. They set up a second-rate system for us, and they used IBM. And we now are pretty sure because... There was this whole scandal that came out. The Hollerith cards, the IBM punch cards from World War II, some of them were preserved because they actually had recorded, as you pointed out in a previous conversation, 
the whole life of the Jew that was put in the concentration camp was put on one IBM punch card. That also determined whether they had gold, silver, whether they had land. No, they didn't have land. Whether they had gold in their teeth and any assets well, they, they had. had. They had land. I mean, they had property. It was, it was a full description of their uh, biography, including their property. Well, the Jews were in some uh, some countries restricted from buying much property because, you know, or or houses and businesses. Mm-hmm. And oh. In fact, one of our shareholders' uh, family uh, lost their property in Kristallnacht, and and so they were clearly one of the people on the cards. So, when we see IBM, which became international business, I think in 1933 or 34, when Thomas Watson came to take over the company, which. Up to that point, seemed like it could have been an okay company, but after that, it went square to internationalism, and it just like Prescott Bush and the and Brown Brothers and Harriman Brown Brothers and the Union Bank, and uh, the the uh, the Citibank of New York and all these different banks that gave money to Hitler. Remember, the Brits sat there and watched Hitler against the Treaty of Versailles remilitarize, and they actually used their banks to give them money. So you're going, well, well wait a second. Wait, wait, wait a second. The Brits and the Germans are brothers. They're blood brothers. And so it was really um, only a few people in England who really wanted that fight with Hitler, but they had to have the fight because he militarized to the point, and he basically said what Kaiser Wilhelm said. I'm going to carry out the dream of the Second Reich as the Third Reich, and only Aryan German-speaking people, they believe the Germans were the true Aryans, they're the only ones going to be... Uh, in charge when it's all over. It's another hegemony project. Well, IBM knew that, just like Prescott Bush and the the banks of England knew that when they gave the money to Hitler. So when IBM went to work with Hitler, they knew darn well that they were exterminating people in concentration camps and they were making money off of it and they even kept a lot of the cards. Those cards later were used to reclaim some of those assets. But they kept the cards as blackmail. And they served both sides of the war. And where were they supposed to be working out of? America. Well, they were the first ones to jump into the war. Okay? Prescott Bush, Union Bank, and all the war hawks jumped in to support Hitler before anybody else did. And so they were making tons of profit uh, before the Americans even got involved in the war. So IBM knew exactly what was going on. Now, what I liked was today you pointed out that someone I do know from being studying the NSA history is a guy named Yardley, who was a very famous cryptologist who you just pointed out was given credit for breaking the code, the, the Japanese code, or at least working on it, breaking parts of it out. Notice that it was an American, not Alan Turing, who broke out the Japanese code. He only broke out the fake code of the Germans, which they already had because they were using the same exact IBM equipment. So when we say national socialism, let's make sure that nationalism can be applied to any nation. In this case, I'm going to apply it to Britain. And when we say socialism, they're socialists. That's a fact. But they're also monarchists, which make them a dictatorship. So they're a a monarchical, dictatorial, socialist, fascist, national group that wants to make only English people, English-speaking people, not the people in their country, just English-speaking people, which would mean us in America and anywhere else we speak English, they would be the controllers of the world and have complete hegemony. And basically, when you look at it, they set up a system in America, not only with the CIA, but with the intelligence, so well that in the 70s, they set up 
the Senior Executive Service, but it was first called the Senior Intelligence Service. So the very first bureaucratic takeover, what we call the shadow government, the SES, was an intelligence infiltration of America by the Brits again. And so when you say SES, you are saying servants of the crown, servants of the British Commonwealth. And you know that because they give all the non-bid contracts to the companies that actually uh, have oftentimes fake Well, American probably the most telling, real, really owned telling in Britain. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying they give the contracts to fake. Uh, probably the most telling proof of what you're saying is the uh, a quick look at the number of contracts that our government and its various agencies have given to Serco, which is a British company run by Sir, uh, what's his name, Rupert Soames. And um, they control a lot of the Navy Space War Program, uh, FEMA. They, uh, they supply the uh, data processing equipment for the Office of Personnel Management for the GSA. They run FEMA Region 9. And so here, here we are, and it's pretty clear that it was the Senior Executive Service that gave away all of these contracts. I mean, what, are there not enough American companies to do these contracts? Well, there's a reason why they picked a British company, because that's the group that's continuing to fulfill this vision that they've got, and, um, um, and that's where we are. And the fact, and worse, this same Serco has been given the contract to manage the U.S. Patent Office. So here we are, back to patents again. And, and by, by doing that, they are specifically going against this martial order. And so this martial order may c- continue to have great power as we try to right this ship that um, seems to be sinking fast. Oh, absolutely. And when we say intel, remember the mainstream media is the number one intel group there is. And they are the number one propagandists. And they are supporting who? The very people who make money off of the U.S. Federal Reserve and the central banks and the mainstream media and most investments in the stock market with high frequency traders and all these different things. You can name them. Who are they? They're the big companies behind the asset, the, the, the names behind the big asset management companies who in some cases can have 20 companies to hide the way that they move the money around. What is this? This is the old British system taken from the Viennese, mixing in a little bit of the British East India Company's propaganda. Because remember, the British East India Company was out killing and maiming and taking over countries. But in Britain, they thought that they were just fine and dandy people. And they had to convince the people that they were at war with that the British are good and that the English are a superior race and that they've come to help them. It's still going on to this day and it makes me sick. So the mainstream media, it's the same old people. When you look at it, who are those? Those are German, Dutch, and English bankers. And we've spelled this all out. If you want to know who runs the military industrial complex, it's British bankers primarily, but some, uh, but they came from Germany and some of them came from Holland. And you can trace their families back. It's the same old, same old. The problem is the bankster corporate dynasties. We now found out that slipped into the intelligence communities. And so there's these insider, insider, insider groups 
who control the intel, which controls everything. It controls the stock market. It controls who you're at war with. It controls everything. And we're seeing that this has become institutionalized. And let me give you a perfect example. Now, when you say Israel, you say Britain, okay? I don't know if people understand that. But if I say Israel, don't think nice little uh, uh, Hasidic people speaking uh, Yiddish. No, think British Zionists, because that's who created Israel, okay? Don't forget that. So in Israel, America allows the Intel chip which has a mechanical engine on the back of it that spies on every single microchip, which is in every, almost every computer that we have, who builds them? Well, if you look really hard, you're gonna be shocked to find they're made in Israel. And you say, but wait a second, Israel? Why would Israel be making Intel and American companies chips? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Britain taught the Zionists in Israel to be uh, to take advantage of this institutionalized system that you're describing that's been going on since 1919. So they have a group, uh, you know, they not only have the Mossad and, and uh, a unit a 8200, but they have a thing called Talpiot. Talpiot is when you're, you know, most everyone in Israel has to go through the military. They have to spend years in the military. And I forget how many years. But if they decide to go into high tech, men or women, they go in for six years and they go through a program called Talpiat. And in that program, they become what I was, which was called uh, electronic warfare. In other words, cyber warfare, cyber warriors. That's what these people are. And for six years, they work with the highest tech that you can possibly get. I mean, they're making the Intel chips over there, right? So you get the highest technology that there is being advanced by companies that aren't even in Israel. Now, mind you, 70% of, let me, let me put this in perspective for you, over 50% of all the, in, uh, of all the um, digital high-tech startup companies all come out of one place, Talpiot, and they have venture capitalists who back them. Who are those people? Those are people who are in the Israeli intelligence for six years as cyber warriors and when they get out, they're given venture capital money, they move to Silicon Valley, they're spies, they move into the companies who are the you know most advanced, they get at the edge of them, they bring in venture capital, those companies, either they start their own startups as they jump away from those companies or they bring a literally Zionist venture capitalists into Silicon Valley to back these companies. So the majority of the startups in the whole world are all from ex-military intelligence from Israel. That means that the system that you have described that has been going on since Kaiser Wilhelm in 1919, you even have a date when we know for a fact that there's documents backing it up, but we believe that it goes back to 1914. But the point is this hasn't stopped. And the British are so good at it that They've been doing it even a bit long before 1919 in these other systems that we've described. Uh, well, they so, were centrally they were centralized they were centrally controlled. So, unlike our system, which developed in a lot of different places, theirs has always been organized through this black chamber out of the foreign office. So it's much easier to control your efforts when you're only reporting up the chain to one person. Now, we have always had the propensity 
to reveal very shocking information and of course give the the indictable evidence uh, along with it but we always like to engender hope so here's the hope out of this situation easily taken care of poke four of the five eyes out in other words american nsa information should not be shared with the cia it should not be shared with the cia or the fbi or the state department or the department or the office of director of uh, national intelligence forget about it it's military we're only supposed to use nsa data against our enemies so unless they're an enemy and they've been marked as an enemy forget about it get out of our contracts with nato where we're also sharing that information get out of the five eyes group just simply say no 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 to all of them and say the we way, keep our own intelligence and we don't believe you because you have led us by the nose through one war after the next britain and you are completely way, cut off there's a 53 document where the uh, the, the then current uh, Army Security Agency director is giving a, a secret speech to the War College, and in it he specifically says that by 1953, America had largely given up its intelligence sovereignty to, he mentioned the UK and also NATO. So that's a 53. We have been uh, giving all our data away. American sovereignty has never been won. The American Revolution is still going on. Cecil Rhodes tells us that. And the evidence tells us that. So we need to extricate British control out of our intelligence, out of our corporations, out of our government. And we need to pull back the crypto keys used on the Internet that are the, the PKI agreement that, uh, that happens uh, through a lease agreement. And we need that to give the crypto keys to the NSA where they belong not to Hillary, Robert Mueller, and Michael Chertoff. And if we're saying them, then for sure you, you can, it's guaranteed somehow that Hillary must be directly connected to the British uh, Privy Council because she couldn't have gotten into those positions without their permission. So I think she's attempting to become uh, kind of the digital monarch and that they're willing to ride on her coattails until she is poisoned uh, until the antidote for the poison she's being given by China is no longer given and she dies and then the British will simply subsume it as they subsume everything so what you have revealed is an institutionalized plan and when we talk about General Freeze who was on your board for leader technologies we're talking about the guy who led the ASA who basically was almost there from the beginning who would have had to have known that it was all British controlled. There's no way that oh, anyone yeah. on the inside uh, who was a part of Ultra or part of those uh, of the American Black Chamber or had knew anything about the British Black Chamber or basically like General Marshall, if you were in the know, you know that Britain has been controlling us and that they are equally as bad as the German Nazis. I know that some people don't like hearing this history. And uh, it, but for me, as an engineer, this is critical to understand what the problem is so you can set about fixing it. And, and this evaluation of our team uh, of these documents is, is ongoing. But maybe I can kind of bring it to the current set of questions that we're all facing as a result of the activities of these people who have been undermining, I don't know, how do you say it, all of a human culture? for all these years with all this secrecy and this uh, 
uh, evil conduct. Uh, you know, I, not knowing what I didn't know back in the day when I was working with uh, dissidents and Christians in the Soviet Union, is I was seeing the fruit of this mentality that created communism, that created fascism, and that appears to be creating a new form of corporate fascism here in this country. And what concerns me is that uh, we've allowed ourselves to go to sleep on these questions. And what we're now seeing is people's voices are being shut out of the Internet. We're seeing um, uh, people's ability to buy and sell start to be affected. It's they're getting cut off from their ability to do commerce on using this technology. And so what we've got to do, I think, is step forward with some practical solutions. And that's what we have worked to do. And, and because of this, uh, we didn't choose to be in this position, but we are in this position, having supplied a key piece of the technology these people are using uh, and have been using to uh, implement this um, very heinous, uh, evil uh, system that is, is, is pushing themselves to go to where humanity has been numerous times, and we just don't want to go there. I've seen this, this picture before. I mean, the Soviet Union collapsed from its own corruption. And, I mean, they're not perfect now, for sure, in Russia. Uh, but hopefully they've learned a few things and are not going to try to repeat those mistakes again. But what we've got to do is, I think, we've got to have President Trump fund this Miller Act notice so that we can free the resources to develop a truly free press in this country, which we obviously have not had. And then secondly, I think he needs to rescind all the contracts for all the digital key certificate authorities on the planet and give them to a whole new group of people because what has happened is the power to read everybody's mail has been managed by these digital keys which comes out of this ciphers uh, uh, that we've been talking about today and and that ability is is uh, ubiquitous it's across the board and, and how are you going to stop it well you're going to stop it by giving new contracts to new companies that uh, don't have all these ties to these people. They've so tied this together, they're almost there. They're not quite there. And so we have a chance with President Trump to completely turn the tables almost overnight on a set of things that can create a, a cascade of positive impacts rather than all this negativity and evil that's been being pushed right now. So that's where I think we got to go. And I think it can be done. The, the systems can be rebuilt uh, or reconfigured. Uh, that's just engineering. But there's got to be a will to do it, and that's where I hope President Trump will take the leadership and, and provide that will. He can provide the resources through the Treasury Department to uh, compensate our shareholders. And as a result of that, a whole set of positive things can start.